This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Welcome back to another Speak Sunderland Reaction podcast. It's been a busy week since we last recorded one. Um, last weekend, Sunderland managed to 2-0 win against Swindon Town, as well as a 1-0 win on Tuesday night against Crewe. However, today we will be looking at yesterday's 3-1 defeat at home to Portsmouth, which was, I think it's fair to say, a disappointing result. Um, John and Paul will be joining me tonight to discuss the Sunderland perspective of the game. How are you getting on, fellas? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us on again, mate. No worries at all. And to get a Portsmouth point of view tonight, Freddie joins us, co-host of the PO4 podcast. How you doing, mate? You well? I'm doing very well, thanks, guys. How are you? Good, good. We're good. We're good. I think the, I think the results put a bit of a dampener on the moon. But... <laughs> well, to be fair, um, I was in the exact same position last week, so don't worry about that. I'm sure we'll get used to it. We'll, we'll get straight into it. We'll get straight into it and start by looking at the Portsmouth side that actually started the game. Um, obviously, McGillivray starting goal, and I believe it was a back four of Lee Brown, Sean Waggett, Jack Watmore and Callum Johnson. Tom Naylor and Andy Cannon in midfield with Jacobs and Ryan Williams out wide with a front two of John Marcus and Marcus Harness. A good front two, that both Marcus. Um, when I saw the team... Personally, I, I was surprised to see Curtis on the bench. Um, you know, given he's probably been the player who's impressed consistently in games against us. Freddie, is is this a tactical decision to have him on the bench, or is there is there a different reason for it? Uh, it was a tactical decision, because, um, mainly because midweek against Gilligan puts off one two nil, and that was their best performance of the season. Uh, obviously, yesterday's game. So I think Jacket just wanted to play the same eleven, the same shape, and the same style of play, and it worked out really well. And Curtis is one of those players who hasn't had the best of starts to the season. And if he's the first name on the team sheet, sometimes he gets a bit inconsistent if he's not scoring goals and cutting inside from the left hand side as he should be. So yeah, um, definitely a tactical decision to bench him for today for yesterday's game. Yeah, and if I remember rightly, um, I think Marcus Harness. It's quite a good name to say that. Mark Sarnes. He, I'm sure he scored the last time we played Portsmouth as well. I think I think it was the game where he won two one. I think it was. I think Maguire and Willis scored for us. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, I was I was at that game. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I didn't mind that. I didn't mind the Portsmouth performance that the game. But from what I remember, Portsmouth were on top for the first half an hour, and then they just fell away. Two mistakes leading to goals, and then Sunderland got all three points. Yeah, John Paul. I think I'm pretty sure it was Maguire and Willis that scored that game. I don't know if you can remember differently. I can't remember now. We played a hundred times, didn't we, in the last two years? <laughs> We've seen we've played Portsmouth quite a lot, or certainly a lot more than any other team. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to try and forget uh, forget every time we've played them from now on. I hope. I think the only one worth remembering would be the playoff semi final, <laughs> and even that wasn't very. Oh, don't remind me of that. That was that was <laughs> awful. <laughs> but um. On Marcus Harness, obviously, I think he scored a little bit against us a couple of times when he played for Burton as well. Um, mm-hmm. 
And he, he's another player that's really impressed every time I've seen him play. Freddie, how important do you think he is to the Portsmouth team? Uh, he's an excellent player. Um, last season, Portsmouth bought him for, I believe, three quarters of a million from Burton. Last season, played on the right wing. Very creative from that side. Um, very very good in terms of his link-up play, but he's, he's starting to get that goal-scoring touch now. Um, Portsmouth missed that a bit when we sold Jamal Lowe, but Marcus Harness has filled that already. And now over the past two games, instead of playing as an attacking midfielder or right winger, he's he's playing fully up front with John Marcos and it seems to be working yeah. pretty well. Obviously, you've just touched on Jamal Law there and obviously he left the club last season, I think it was, I believe, and he joined Wigan. Um, do you think Harness is capable of producing the performances that Jamal used to? I know, obviously, you know, he's not to remind the Sunderland fans, but he did score a great goal against us in the cup final and obviously he got a move to the championship with Wigan. Do you think do you think he's capable of the same type of performance? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He's 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 improved a lot already from last season. Last season he was a bit inconsistent in terms of um, sometimes he'd go missing in games. Usually when he got fouled a lot, he he would go missing. Um, struggled to get back from an injury he got against Blackpool away, from what I remember. But no, he's developing into a similar player to Jamal Lowe in terms of his, he's getting his goal scorer in touch now, which is the main difference. Jamal Lowe, Lowe used to hang on uh, right next to the centre half and uh, the opposition left back and Marcus Harness is doing that as well. And now he's given more freedom since he's now playing in the 4-4-2, which I'm very surprised that Kane Jacket switched to against Gillingham and uh, and that he continued it uh, against Sunderland yesterday. Yeah. Um. Well, looking at the Sunderland team, started the game. Obviously, there was one change made from the win against Crew, So, it was Burge and Goal, a back five of Gooch, who played as a wing-back. Jordan Willis returned to play in the back line with Wright, O'Neill and Denver Hume as the left wing-back. Power, Ledbetter and Josh Scowen started in the middle with a front two of Maguire and Charlie White once again. Um, I think it's fair to say I've been a critic of White ever since he signed, you know, his performances have never really been anywhere near the level that we need them to be. But recently, I'd say he's improved slightly. Paul, for you, do you think White starting was warranted, given his performance midweek against Crew? Um, it's a tough one because yeah, he, what he scored, uh, some people are seeing it's three, but I think one of the goals was disallowed. Or, or well, sorry, one of the goals was an own goal, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so uh, he's. He is scoring, but I still don't think. I mean, if you look at if you look at the game against Pompey, we had one shot on target, which to me is just embarrassing. Um, so it, I know he's not maybe getting the best kind of service, but who would you put in? Would you put if you put in Graham or uh, Greg? Are they going to play any better? I don't think so. Unless we play to a particular striker's strength, I don't think it makes any difference uh, who we've got up there. Mm-hmm. I've always said, I don't know, a lot of people think we disagree on Twitter and. There's just certain few people who disagree massively, but I've always said Will Grigg deserves a longer run in the team. Um, yeah. You know, he played against Hull, which I think was the first um, kind of competitive game of the season. Obviously, the game mm. finished nil nil, but he scored two goals, both of which were wrongly disallowed, I would say. Um, I think he played against Bristol Rovers, which again was one of them games I don't think we really got the ball up to him enough. Yeah. And if you look at the way we're playing, not so much yesterday, but against Crew, against Swindon, we seem to be getting a lot more balls into the strikers. Um, and obviously, if you look at the goals Grig have scored, Grig has scored, sorry, in his career for Wigan and MK Dons as well, 
that's the type of service he thrives on. So for mm-hmm. me, I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, John, Paul, but for me, I think Will Griggs should be the player we should be focusing on as well, our main man. I think I think it'd be worth putting him up front with Wake and, and actually have to, having two up front, to be honest with you. Uh, I think that would suit us. I mean, against Portsmouth, I don't know, I think it was, um, is it Raggett you've got there? That, is it, was he playing yeah. out? Sure, sure Raggett's on the half. Yeah, he was playing out. That's not his normal position, is it? Uh, no, he's usually a centre half. But, yeah, I mean, um, he played it, brilliant. It, it... Yeah, sorry, I thought he played brilliant against us. You know what I mean? So like, he was stopped. I don't think it would have made much difference having just one strike up there on. I think we needed a bit more oomph, and I think if we'd had Greg and White, it would have been a bit better. A bit better, in my opinion. Yeah, and just quickly, Freddie, um, I was thinking this before. Sean Sean Waggett used to play for Lincoln, didn't he? Or Mark yes, he else. did. He did. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's played okay this season. Fairly inconsistent. He, 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 he wasn't very good last season when he started, but managed to get a good centre-half partnership with Christian Burgess. Now he's settling in okay with Jack Watmore. But what Sunderland needed to do to pressure a player like Sean Raggett was um, attacking with dribbling. He's not very good when a winger or a striker is running at him. And he's also not very good at dealing with through balls that much. He's yeah. more of a uh, tradition. How, how should I put this? A traditional league one centre half in terms. Of he's very good at doing the crosses and long balls, and usually man marking a striker like in yeah. this game. Um, if um, Sunderland were a bit more dynamic with their front three and their three four three, and tried to focus a lot more on that side, trying to pass it round them especially, then I think Sunderland would have made more more opportunities yeah i think no nonsense would kind of be the best way to describe them i think exactly um jordan willis also came back into the team and he replaced conor mclaughlin as a center half and to be fair against crew i don't think mclaughlin really put a foot wrong i think he started against crew sorry he started as a wing back i believe jordan willis got injured um was this against crew or was this swindon it was one of the games. He started as a wing back. Um, Willis got injured, so he moved into centre half, and that's where he played against Crew. And you know, I think he did quite well. Um, obviously, Willis came back in, and for me, looked a yard off the pace throughout the game. John, were you surprised to see Willis brought straight back into the team? Um, I think he slots back in. Uh, we'd, we'd hope he's just slot back in, um, but I think he was he was off the pace yesterday. You could tell when. Um, I think it was the first goal went in. Um, you could see the way that Wright was pointing to him and he was he was just yeah. so slow to react to it. Um, so I think it probably would have been better off. Obviously, hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Obviously, normally when Sunderland line up, it is Jordan Willis on the right of the back three with O'Neill as the wing-back. Do you think having Gooch as the wing-back instead of O'Neill kind of hindered Willis a little bit? Obviously, Gooch is not a defender at all. Do you think that had a part to play? Um, I don't. Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think it hinders Lyndon Gooch's game more than anything. Um, Jordan Willis is normally pretty solid. The Bailey right normally covers pretty well, but um, and obviously we know O nine um, gets up and down the pitch pretty well. Um, Gooch does work hard, but he's he's a lot more forward thinking than than O nine. Um, but I think we nullified Gooch's game more than anything with putting him out there. Yeah. Um, just before we get into the game, Freddie, um, you know, I, I don't follow too many Portsmouth fans on Twitter, but some that I do seem to be on repeat in saying, you know, Jack it out, he's, he's not the manager we need. 
And I believe he's been Portsmouth manager since 2017 now and obviously failed to get promoted since. Um, this season, it's been on paper what looks to be a fairly promising start. Obviously, yesterday's win is a big bonus for that as well. Do you think the criticism towards Jackets justified? Absolutely. Yeah, this is his fourth season. And obviously, from an outsider's perspective, it seems very, it seems stupid that Jacket is linked with um, the amount of pressure that he's getting. Because, well, you look at last season, an, another EFL trophy final, going deep in cup runs, unbeaten at home last season. You'd think, well, why would you want that manager to be sacked? Probably in a similar way to what many Sunderland fans thought about Jack Ross. His Jacket's mm-hmm. tactics... Uh, at times last season and at the beginning of this season, even though Portsmouth only lost a couple of games and a lot of draws, they looked awful in most of those games. And I w- and thankfully it was a fresh air and a bit of fresh air in the last two games, uh, Gillingham and the, obviously yesterday's game. But no, the, the criticism is justified. Uh, if you look at both of the player finals, you watched what the the one two years ago, Portsmouth were dreadful going forward throughout that entire game. And it's been like that a lot. And when you have attacking players like Marcus Harness, Roland Curtis, John Marcus, who we played £1.5 million for, and similar other players as well, I can I, I can list them. The problem was, um, at times, Portsmouth were very one-dimensional going forward, and it resulted in, you, if you're kind, you would say direct. If you were not, you would say hoofball. And... That frustrated a lot of fans a lot. Sometimes John Marcus was playing as, as an attacking midfielder in a yeah. lot of those games last season and yeah. acting like a target man trying to bring the ball down next to two centre halves. And it wasn't the fact that it was just the style of play that was the problem. It was obvious it wasn't getting results when it mattered. And in that Oxford, um, in those two legs against Oxford, Portsmouth simply didn't do enough and they folded when it matters, and that happens a lot uh, under Kane Jackets tenure, even with the win percentage, even with at times some very long runs without without defeat. Personally, I would have, um, like many Portsmouth fans, I probably would have sacked him. The only reason why he's still in the job is because they wanted to save money by not sacking him and his staff, obviously yeah. due to the environment he's currently in. But on a positive spin, he's changed his tactics completely with the four-four-two and focusing on the high press, which he did for a bit last season, and that was and that went very well. So again, it's in this. It's in. I think Porsche for around about where they were last season and the season before, in terms of they'll be well, like Sunderland, they'll be in and around the playoffs to a certain extent by default due to the players that Porsche have. But I do not trust them if we get to another playoff series and i don't trust them to get automatics yet i'll need more evidence on that yeah do you think jack has what it takes as a manager obviously managing players and tactical side of the game do you think he has enough to actually get the most out of the players you have like enough to perhaps get you promoted (laughs) sometimes he does sometimes he doesn't i mean in in spats last season and in this season he gets a winning system and he grinds out results, and Portsmouth looked to be on a trajectory. Many changes of tactics for seemingly no reason. In the player yeah. final, in the player finals last season against Oxford, he benched our captain Tom Naylor for a player who hadn't kicked a ball for about twelve months due to injury, Bryn Morris, and that baffled me. I don't know why, because um, 
Tom Nair in centre midfielder. He's not a flashy centre midfielder at all. He's a bit like Grant Ledbetter in that regard. But you need him in that centre midfield, otherwise your midfield falls apart effectively. So it's it's little things like that. There have also been a lot of um, incident, uh, incidents which weren't popular with Portsmouth fans in terms of um, refusing to sign Christian Burgess at the, end of, at the end of last season. The spat with Brett Pittman, even though in his later seasons I wasn't as, as big a fan of Brett Pittman as others were. There was a lot of spat, making him train with the uh, under-21s uh, under and so on. Um, mm-hmm. There was another incident where he subbed on Gareth Evans, who has left the club now, but he was the closest thing to kind of like a modern-day Portsmouth legend due to the fact that he played 250 appearances for the club, and that hasn't happened since God knows when, before 2010, let's say. Yeah. And, yeah, he, he brought him on and then subbed him back off after 20 minutes. And... Not a lot of people like his personality either. But for me, the most important thing is, tactically, when it matters the most, he has been found out a lot. And that is the most that, that is the bitter pill to swallow for most Portsmouth fans. Um, yeah. You can look at the expected goals if you want. to do, And Portsmouth do in most times create a lot of high-quality chances with their play. But in the games that matter... Ports have seemed to fall to bits, and the tactics previously, not in the last game, the rigid four-two-three-one didn't get um, the most out of um, Ports' players, and I think a lot of some of the fans can uh, can relate to that in terms of the players' yeah, have. Yeah, I think I think John Paul, I think I think you'd agree with most of the things there, and I think you probably could relate a lot of it to Sunderland. Um, yeah. But the game got underway, and realistically, Sunderland never got started. Um, you know, they were sloppy on the ball, they were slow to close players down, and you know, Portsmouth controlled the opening stages. Um, and seven minutes in, we paid the price. And Jacobs crossed the ball in. You know, I think he, I think Hume was beaten far too easily on the left wing there. Um, but Jacobs got past him, put a ball in the middle, and Harness was unmarked. Easy finish for him. And John, we've just touched on it there a little bit, but Paul, for you, you know, to me, it seems like Willis lost his man for the goal. I'm not sure if you've had the chance to watch it back, but again, do you think it's a case of Willis being thrown back into early after a slight injury? Obviously, we've kept a clean sheet with him, not in the team, won quite comfortably without him in the team. For a player that's usually so paramount to the side, he seemed he seemed far from his usual self yesterday. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think I can see why he wanted to bring him in because he obviously normally starts for us and we've had some uh, a lot of clean sheets and good results. But I think he was definitely, even on Twitter, you can see everybody saying he was uh, off the pace a bit. And I think that, along with uh, the mixture of Grant Netter being, so I don't know if he's getting a bit like too many games in a short space of time, he seemed off the pace. And I think just a few people with them being off the pace, it just, it just totally destroyed us at the back there. Uh, made them look a little bit shaky and a bit nervous, and I think that just got to them, to be honest with you. But Willis was definitely not quite right. I'd still, I'd still probably start them against uh, the next game. Um, obviously, I'd try, I'd probably bring Flanagan back as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think on Saturday he was a little bit off the pace. Yeah, well, the goal, the early goal, seemed to wake Sunderland up a little bit um, for a while. Two minutes after conceding, Denver Hume found himself in space on the left wing. He put a great ball in the box for Charlie White at the front post, who, to be fair, it was a great finish past McGillivray. McGillivray, sorry, can't even say his name, to make it 1 1. 
Um, Freddie, from a Portsmouth point of view, you must have been pleased with the start you made to the game, but at the same time, disappointed to concede after controlling the game. Uh, hit the nail on the head there. Um, <clears throat> I was very surprised with how Portsmouth played in the first 10 minutes, because usually, under the old system, they weren't playing. They would focus a lot on crossing. But due to uh, Sunderland playing free at the back, Kane Jacket didn't go with that. Um, for the first goal, Brian Williams got the throw, transitioned very quickly from the centre of pitch, and then they just overloaded Sunderland's front back free. And that was the theme for how Ports have got most of their chances that game. For me, Sunderland's wing backs were too far forward. And it might be because players like Lyndon Gooch aren't natural in terms of being defenders. Uh, and the front and the back three were isolated a lot. I think. Um, Mark Donnelly put it best in the Sunderland Echo where he said the pressing of the front three was the main reason that led to a lot of the mistakes that we'll go over later. And yeah, that's really, what Borsov yeah. did. Marcus Hardest and John Marquis on the three centre-halves a lot for most of the game. And then one of the wingers supported them and another dropped back. And in terms of the Sunderland guard, I wouldn't blame Borsov's defending. I thought it was just an excellent bit of play. Uh, from what I remember, start off by a long ball to the left winger. Denver yeah. Hume beat Callum Johnson for pace through the dribbling and Charlie Weichard thought he did really well he, he managed to get himself between the two centre-halves and uh, excellent finish Yeah well we got the goal obviously and you know in the match report I did after the game I said about how impressed I was with Hume and again how well Weichard actually took the goal but John for you at 1-1 did you think the game could or would turn on its head obviously before yesterday we'd only conceded once all season it was a penalty Albeit that was also the game we didn't win. Or did you think, honestly, similar to me, you know, I feel once we went 1 0 down, a draw would be the best outcome? How did you feel at 1 1? Uh, getting back into it so quickly, um, you can't ask much more than that. And then you, did you then think, us being at home and how we've been uh, in the previous weeks, uh, you think we'll go on um, and do quite well for the rest of the game? But obviously, one mistake from Ledbetter. Um, that he doesn't normally make um, has, has cost us and I don't really after that goal I didn't didn't see us recovering at all from that Yeah you just touched on it there obviously Portsmouth didn't lose confidence from the goal and I think it was it was well 15 minutes after after we draw the game level um, Ledbetter who again he's been impressive all season arguably been our best player but I'm not exactly sure what he was doing or thinking at the time, but you know he's played he's played a suicidal ball in the middle, and I think it was Harness who intercepted it. He's played a through ball to Marcus who finished easily. Slight question mark over the keeper and his positioning, but you know you can't take anything away from the finish. Um, obviously the games coming thick, thick and fast now. Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. We've got a game on Tuesday again, and Ledbetter isn't exactly the youth of the squad. Paul, do you think it's asking too much of Ledbetter to perform at the top level four times in what would be less than two weeks? Yeah, definitely. I think, as you said there, he has he has impressed us in a lot of games this season, a lot better than what many fans thought. I know for a fact there's a lot of fans, including myself, thought maybe um, the odd cup game and coming on as a substitute or like a coaching role pretty soon down the yeah. line. That's, what, that's the way people were talking. Um, yeah. But he has, he has impressed us. But I think it is just... It's too much, too much from it at this age. I think um, that mistake did have an effect on the rest of his game, and I, I said on Twitter today. I think personally, he needs a rest, especially against uh, on Tuesday against Rochdale. 
Uh, I'll probably bring I put power in his place, and, and, and like I said, I said earlier, I'd probably play two up front instead. So that's what I would do. But uh, he, yeah, I do feel I do feel for him because he is he is he like sort of works really hard, but he just wasn't at the races. I didn't think. Yeah, um, well, that was it from the first half. Really, we went into the halftime break two one down, and to my surprise, and I'm sure to many other surprised many other people's surprise, Parkinson didn't make any changes at halftime. Um, you know, given how the first half went, I thought changes needed to be made early. And in hindsight, I still stand by that opinion. Obviously, John Parkinson is quite clearly reluctant to change his plan once he set it. You know, he sticks with the same players. Diamond and Neil weren't involved once again. Do you think his, well, stubbornness is the word I'm thinking of. I don't know if that's the right word. But do you think at times that will hold us back this season? His unwillingness to change it? Yeah, a little bit, um, definitely. Um, yesterday, you could see it needed changing. We were sort of going nowhere. If you like, pretty fast. It was just, just nothing was happening. Um, obviously, three one. Um, Greg, I think Greg had one chance. That was literally it. And then obviously brought Danny Graham on, and sort of went full Steve Bruce on us and just chucking loads of strikers on. And if yeah. then we looked, we looked less, we looked less likely to score with those three on the pitch. So. It doesn't. There doesn't seem to be a different plan um, going going forward, which is a bit of a worry. With um, obviously teams like Portsmouth coming and obviously doing a job on us like they did yesterday. Yeah. Uh, from from an outsider's perspective, I didn't think Sunderland had a plan B at all no. from the second half. Yeah. They got very frustrated because Portsmouth usually when they get the lead, they did their usual. Um, they sat back a lot, mainly to conserve energy. But I think. Usually I don't like it, but in this game I thought it was the right decision to do that. And the four four two helps with that a lot. You basically you're asking Sunderland to go through two banks of four and then the wingers were there just to um play the right direct ball to Harness and Marquis and that frustrated Sunderland a lot, which is probably why Phil Parkinson decided to put every striker he had available on the pitch at the same time, which made the team even more unbalanced than it looked. Yeah. They wanted to play out from the back a lot but when ports have pressed the three center halves they panicked and basically just looked for through ball it looked for the long balls out wide instead because there was no other option i think if if the sunland players moved off the it moved off the ball a little bit better i think they could have got round those two banks of four in the second half yeah, yeah well, for me sorry, we, go on, we, sorry we did seem there were so many times we seemed to just turn back and I was getting really, really frustrated and Powell was guilty of it. Uh, Maguire always turning back. Instead of turning and running at players, I know we're not the most gifted team, but when like Hume does it, he was probably the only one who did. Gooch maybe once or twice, but apart from that, every player just seemed to turn back and it just it just took the sting out of any attack that we had. Yeah, I, I think, think that would have put one... a lot if players did that. Um if the Sunderland players took a bit more risk with their dribbling. I yeah, think especially definitely. on Portsmouth's left-hand side with Raggett and Lee Brown there. Solid defenders, but if enough, but if you put enough pressure on that side and um, there's that movement off the ball, which I, which I said last time, I think you could have created a lot more chances than, than they did. Yeah, I think, obviously, you've said there, from a Portsmouth point of view, we didn't look to have a plan B, and I don't think any Sunderland fan would disagree with that. Pretty much since Parkinson's taken over, we seem to be very predictable. 
And I've said for a long time, to be successful in this league, you need pace up front in some form. Um, you know, if you look at the teams that have been promoted recently, Coventry have been promoted. They had the likes of Enrique Barre, who was, I hope, is comparing to Adama Traore. He's a very similar player. Obviously, not as not as talented, but a very similar player. Um, pretty much every team that's been promoted from this league has had pace up front, whether it's from the start in eleven or someone to come off the bench. We've at least under Parkinson, we've never had that. You know, if White's not working, we've got Danny Graham to bring on, and he's not he's not the fastest player in the world. And I think, personally, I do think the lack of plan B is the reason I'm not a fan of Parkinson. John, I don't know if you'd agree with that as such, but... Yeah, I I think, uh, well, it was all pre-season. I think, I'm not sure why, obviously he's he's still very young, but I still don't see why Dan Neil doesn't get an opportunity because we've got, like, if you saw the bench yesterday, we've got Dobson. He's not going to come on and do anything. Aidan yeah. O'Brien has had a mixed bag um, start to his career. Um, so there's not really anyone else. Why not? I don't know if Diamond was injured or not, but why not have his pace just like even for the last 10 minutes? Um, and Dan Neil threading, threading balls through um, with three strikers on the pitch, telling me that's not going to, you know, maybe once or twice come off as just a gamble for 10 minutes. We're not asking for them to start the game or... Um, obviously, you know, play the whole season, but there has to be some sort of change. There has to be, otherwise, we'll get predictable. And Portsmouth can come and obviously do what they did and just nullified us. Yeah, I've been obviously we re-signed Kim York as well in the last few weeks, possibly a month ago or so, and obviously he hasn't featured for the first team in any way yet, um, not even on the bench. Jack Diamond again, I think he's played once in the league, and that was kind of a forced change. You know, he didn't even start the game; he came on because Willis got injured. And obviously, you've touched on there, Dan Neal's not even made an appearance as a substitute. Um, I do think, you know, Diamond offers something different. He's got the pace. We've seen in pre-season, he can get a good ball in the box. And with Dan Neal, I can't remember, I think it might have been against Aston Villa. You know, he played great. Was it Aston Villa? No, yeah. it was one of the pre-season games. He played through ball into Will Grigg, who just turned his man and finished well. And that's, that's the type of service that Will Grigg will score goals with. So... But I think the thing with the likes of Neil, the likes of Diamond, they're not getting minutes in the first team, but they don't even seem to be getting minutes for the under-23s either. They seem to be travelling with the first team kind of as a backup option. And, you know, the times that we do rely on them, the times that we do need them, they're not going to be match fit because they're not playing any type of football. And, you know, like I've touched on earlier, we're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. You've got Ledbetter playing you know, 280 minutes or whatever it is in the space of two weeks. What harm is it having Dan Neal on the bench as a different option? I, to- I, I, to- I totally agree with that. I think what everybody's saying about the uh, the lack of pace and not having a plan B, I mean, personally, I think we knew, needed a new plan A. Um, put the current plan A to plan B and, and try something different. Get the youth in, give them, give them 25 minutes at the end of each half. Uh, and just see if it makes a difference. Kim Bjorka, I think he should be on the bench. Dan Neal and Diamond, definitely that, that's going to give us the pace we need. And like like you said there, the, uh, the through ball Dan Neal did for Grigg is exactly the sort of um, supply that Grigg would thrive off. So it's, there's no harm in, in trying it for a, a couple of games to see how it goes, especially with the, the next two games we've got coming up. The, this sort of scene is a bit more winnable. They're not, um, you know, like obviously Portsmouth's a very good team, but I just think that we should 
be expecting to get a bit more from them two teams, if you know what I mean. So I would, yeah. I would personally, I think we should we should try something different. Yeah, and if you, if you look at pretty much since well, even when we dropped into the championship, we've given young players a chance. You know, the likes of Lyndon Gooch, who weren't really a first team regular, he's came from the academy. He's now a first team player. Um, Joel Azoro, he came from the academy. Mm-hmm. He came into the first team and proved us. Josh Manchev, I think, is probably the biggest example. He's came into the first team. You know, yeah. still to this day, I think he's the best player we've had since we dropped out in League One. You likes of Denver Hume, he's a first team player now. There's so many players from the academy who are coming into the first team and actually improving us. And I feel like that would be the same with Dan Neal, with Jack Diamond, even with Benji Kimpioka as he offers something different. But, you know, yeah. that's, that's one of the things that I just don't see what Parkinson thinks why he doesn't go for it but you've got to as well expect Dan Neal to be pushing um, Scowan or Power especially on yesterday's performance because they both didn't do anything especially Power I forgot he was playing sometimes and Scowan we all called yeah. for him to start um, a few games and he's been okay but yesterday again non-existent so you're, t- you're telling me that Dan Neal wouldn't have made a difference even for the last last 20 minutes it's all well and good having three strikes on the pitch but if you're not going to get Half decent service to him, then it's pointless. Yeah, I think I think the substitute that Parkinson made was good and bad in the same way because obviously I think it was Griggy brought on, but he took Josh Scowen off, and you know Josh Scowen's probably our most attacking midfielder. He's the player that will link the player. Mm-hmm. So when he took Scowen off and put Grig on, the service from the midfield to the attack was non-existent anymore. Um, you know I'm, I'm not sure. If Scorn had picked up an injury or if he was feeling tiredness in his legs, but that was that was a substitute I didn't really understand. I'm not, I'm not sure what you guys thought about. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, I think um, Scorn. I would have kept him on personally. Um, I don't know. To, to, to be honest with you, I don't think it would have made the substitutions would have made any difference to the result yesterday. I, I think Portsmouth just knew exactly what we were going to do. They had every area of the pitch covered uh, and we just have to take it on the chin that the, the better team won, personally. Yeah. Um, in general, I think the second half was pretty quiet for both teams. Um, obviously, we touched on their partners and finally made a change after 70 minutes. Um, and I think Greg touched the ball once, as far as I remember, in the time he was on, which was a header. Um, it went just wide. Around 10 minutes later, he brought on Danny Graham, but you know it was too little too late. Just after Danny Graham came on, O'Neill got caught out at the back, a little bit out of position. You know, he is a centre mid. He's been converted to a right back. He's now playing as a left centre half. He was caught out of position. Um, he brought Williams down in the box and was sent off for a second bookable offence. I don't think either of you three will have any real doubts that that was a penalty. Stonewall. Yeah, the o- yeah, yeah, it was. The only slight doubt, and I think this might be bias kicking in, would be that. A second yellow card was a little bit harsh given the time of the game, given the scoreline. I'm not sure it was a second yellow card. It didn't seem a, you know, it was a foul. It was a penalty. But you yeah, know, I think I, I, potentially. I think the, it, it, his first booking was a definite booking. William Williams yeah, got in the same yeah. position, and if 9 didn't foul him, he would have threaded, threaded the ball through to Mark Lewis. So that was obviously a professional foul. Yeah. Um, I think I think you to use the cliche, you've seen them given some referees will give a yellow card for that some wouldn't but in terms of it being a penalty it was Stonewall and yeah. Marcus just did his usual wait for the keeper to commit and then just pass it into the other corner Yeah, well from the from the way I was watching the stream I'm not sure if anyone saw it differently but 
when the referee gave the penalty, I don't actually think he was going to book Onayan. I think, you know, it's typical football. It happens. Sunderland do it. Portsmouth do it. Every team in the world does it now. And I don't necessarily agree with it, but the Portsmouth players went straight over to the referee, you know, probably reminded him that Onayan was on a yellow card then. Obviously, Onayan was sent off, but Marcus stepped up and dispatched the penalty with ease. And, you know, that, that was it for the game, really. It finished 3 1. Sunderland's unbeaten run coming to an end, which was obviously always going to happen. But Freddie, obviously a big win for you, but how impressed have you been with the start of the season? Mixed, I think is the best way to put it. And mainly that is down to the last two games. Um, Portsmouth have already had, if you look at the teams Portsmouth have played, Burton, Rochdale, Wigan, a lot, of, a lot of the teams you look at on paper and think they're not going to be in the top half of the table challenging for the playoffs and, and a division which Portsmouth should be. And they floundered a lot. Um, they went with the, the old 4 2 3 1, which uh, the, the issues that had been there for the past two or three seasons, they read their, they read their heads again. But my opinion is changing due to the fact that against Gillingham, uh, they went for the 4-4-2. They went for the dynamic 4-4-2. They took a risk by playing Marcus Harness up front alongside John Marquis. Usually they play Ellis Harrison. I think he's played against Sunderland before. Target man, yeah. very mobile, very good at linking up the play, but he was injured. And Portsmouth didn't have another striker before they got Jordy Hewlett midweek on a six-month deal. Yeah. So um, they needed to go 4-4-2, really. Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. And also they put, brought in Andy Cannon back at centre midfield alongside Naylor, who is a perfect box-to-box link-up play centre midfielder. Perhaps not going to get any goals and assists, but when he's in the team, you notice him, especially when Portsmouth are off the ball. He's always closing down the nearest man and very good at passing to the wingers. In this case, Michael Jacobs and Ryan Williams. Portsmouth have the depth to be able to play that 4-4-2 really well. And more importantly, they focused on what John, uh, the sort of chances that John Marquis thrives off, which yeah. is threaded through balls through the middle or yeah. low crosses. Uh, in that Mark Donnelly piece, I think Portsmouth had two crosses throughout that uh, entire game against Sunderland, which is unheard of completely. Yeah. Because beforehand, Portsmouth were the traditional team of lo- loading, every, loading everybody in the penalty area and putting in ridiculous amount of crosses and hoping one of them stood. So the change of tactics is really positive. And obviously, it wasn't the it wasn't just the wins in those last two games. It was the way they're playing, and for Portsmouth to get out of this division, in the same way for Sunderland to get out of this division with the players they have, they can't just rely on the players they have. Otherwise, they'll fall down in the playoffs if they get the. They need to have the right system for the players you have that complement them. You don't have to pick the best player on paper every time, as long as the system works. And yeah. if Portsmouth keep going the way they're going with that four four two, I think they could be okay. Yeah. Um, John, obviously, results up until yesterday have been pretty good for Sunderland. Um, performances is a different matter. Um, performances have been criticised slightly. You know, we beat Crew 1-0. We looked comfortable, but the performance wasn't great. Um, obviously, we've touched on earlier in a different podcast. First 45 minutes against Charlton, we were excellent. Performance was, was up there, but... It just missed the goal. But do you think losing yesterday in a way will help the team push on for the next few games, give them that extra motivation? I think it's a bit of a, a wake-up call for us, definitely. Um, I don't think we played too bad against Crew. 
Um, I think if Power sticks his one in, Gooch, the keeper saves it. I think we have one or two others, then that's if you look at that as in a four, four, five nil, then everyone's sort of thinking, hmm, okay, and sort of taking a bit more notice. Um, I think yesterday you just have to. Portsmouth did obviously do a number on us, and we didn't we didn't rise to the challenge. So it's a little bit of a concern, um, but now it's how we will react in these next next two games. I think that will get that will get the confidence back up. Yeah, and um, we will move into the player ratings from yesterday's game, which I imagine a lot of them will be significantly lower than usual. But we will start at the back. Obviously, Lee Burge started in goal. Um, I think in my match report, I gave him a five out of ten. Um, the reason being, you know, there was times he just didn't look particularly confident in himself, and I think that's been the case pretty much all season. Um, you know, I don't think he really could have done anything with the goals. I said earlier, his positioning for Portsmouth's second goal was slightly questionable, but again, nevertheless, it was a great finish. But for me, six out of ten, John, yourself, Lee Burge? Yeah, I'd probably go for six. He did actually make a few smart saves, which we we haven't seen him make two too many saves recently, so uh, yeah, six is good. Paul, for you? Yeah, totally agree. Six again. Uh, he did pull off some good saves, like he said. The the goals, there wasn't much he could do with that, so yeah, I'd happily go with a six. Um, Gooch started again as the wing-back, um, and again, I think I should really make a note of the ratings I would make, because I always forget them, but I think I've given him a six out of ten. You know, he put a good, attacking-wise, he put some good balls into the box, Again, at times he was frustrated and he'd beat his man and he'd come back and try and beat him again. But, you know, as a wing-back, I think his defensive capabilities hinder him a little bit. But six out of ten for me, John? Yeah, I'll probably go for six as well. There was a couple of times late on um, and I think Willis had made the overlap and he still cut inside every time. And it was just predictable yeah. in the end. And that's why Portsmouth were able to nullify him and he's one of our better threats. So, yeah, between, yeah, I'd say a six because he did work hard. Um, in defence. Paul Gooch for you. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would say five and a half, six to be honest with you. There's nothing more I can add to that. Um, obviously, again, we've touched on Jordan Willis. He came back into the team. He is a great player. You know, he's, without being too biased, I do think he is one of the better centre-halves in this league. I'm not going to say he's the best. He's not, but he is certainly up there. But yesterday, he was a yard off the pace. You know, he's Arguably lost his man for the opening goal, and I think I've gave him a four out of ten. John, yourself? Uh, yeah, I went for a five. Um, like you say, he was off the pace um, a little bit. I think he doesn't get across quick enough um, for their goal, um, and not really um, getting forward in the sort of first seventy minutes, which is one of our biggest threats. Um, so yeah, probably a five for me. Paul. Uh, yeah, I think a five. Just basically not quite fit, not quite ready to to be back, but hopefully. Some more training this week. I would still start him again next week. So, yeah, I'd go with a five. Bailey Wright started in the middle again. And we say this every podcast, you know, he's, he's such an important player to the team. But again, yesterday, he wasn't his usual self. Um, and I think early on in the game, you know, the opening five minutes, there was a couple of times he got the ball. And, you know, he was looking flat short pass, but he didn't play it. He overhit it or underhit it. So, again, I've, I think I gave him a six out of ten. John, yourself? Yeah, I'll give him a six as well. Yeah, steady as normal. And Paul? Yeah, I'll give him a six. I think he plays. I think he plays better when he's got. Um, I think he. I thought he. I think he brings the best out in other players as well. Like I think when Flanagan, Flanagan was in, 
I think he would have would have played a bit better. But yeah, I would give him I'd give him a six. And um, Luke Nyan made up the back three as the third centre half. And again, you know, he's not a centre back, but he's played there the last couple of games now. And in the first half, especially, he made a number of key challenges, some good blocks. Um, you know, he was comfortable on the ball, but obviously he got sent off in the last five minutes. He cost us a third goal, so that kind of brought us rating down a bit. I've, I've gave him a five out of ten as well. John, yourself? Uh, I went for a six. I didn't think actually was too bad. Um, and then obviously yeah. later on, we're chasing the game. He just gets the wrong side. It could have been anyone. And I don't think he does a lot wrong. He just obviously goes across the back of the guy and he's going to go down. So... Um, I see you've got a lot of stick on the social media, but um, yeah. So yeah, six for me. Paul? <laughs> yeah, I'd go for a six as well. It's a shame. He's one of my, my favourite players, but um, I don't think it would have affected the, the scoreline, regardless of whether he'd brought the player down or not, or whatever. I think I think a six is a fair a fair rating for him. Yeah. Um, Denver Hume, obviously, starting at left wing back, and he's, you know, last season, I think I was, again, I was a critic of him. I don't think he was good enough for us to be challenging for promotion Um, you know he's very one-footed he still is his end product last season especially was very very poor you know one in every five crosses would maybe reach someone but this season he seems to have kicked on you know he's came back from lockdown built more like a footballer than he has been previously so yesterday I think he was obviously he was poor for the opening goal I think he lost his man but made up for it with some great work that way equaliser and, you know, throughout the game, I think he was probably one of our better attacking outlets. And for that reason, I'll give him a 7 out of 10, John. Yeah, but I, th- I went for a 6. Um, I just think he needs to get on the ball a little bit more um, than he does. But I'd I'd probably blame that on power, sort of sitting on him a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a 6. Yeah, Paul? Yeah, 6, 6 and a half. I couldn't give anybody in that team yesterday a 7, unfortunately. But um, yeah, he did He did try hard. Um, I think, personally, I, I just think he was a bit off the pace as well. Grant Ledbetter obviously started in midfield again. And he has been one of our better players all season. But he just wasn't. He wasn't up to speed yesterday. It was a shopping decision and pass that led to Portsmouth's second goal yesterday. Looked a yard off the pace throughout the first half. Um, I think he improved slightly in the second half, looked a little bit more comfortable on the ball. But again, I've given him a 5 out of 10. John? Yeah, I've gone with a 5 as well. And if you look where he is when he's passing that and uh, the ball we gave away, he is so deep. It's unbelievable. But he doesn't yeah. need to be when we've got three centre-backs. So, yeah, it's, it was quite poor for him. And I think that did actually cost us. Paul, yourself? Uh, yeah, last few games I've given honestly eight. I thought I thought he's been brilliant, but I'd, I'd go as I'd go as far as giving him a four. I thought it was very poor. I think he's just really tired. Definitely needs a rest. Um, Power started in midfield next room as part of the three, and in the first half especially, I'm struggling to really remember more than a couple of times he actually touched the ball. Obviously, it was part of midfield that was pushed aside far too easily throughout the majority of the game. So again, I've borderline five four out of ten for me john yourself yeah i'll give him a five didn't add anything yesterday at all and i'd seriously consider taking him out um tomorrow uh tuesday sorry yeah. who'd you replace him with george obviously george dobson is on the bench Um he's you know he, parkinson seemed to favor him at the start of the season obviously over the likes of scoring but john for you do you think do you think dobson could you know, play the same role as Max Power? 
I'm I'm not sure we need another player in there like that because I'm not sure if we've got Ledbetter sitting and scowling, sort of floating. I think it needs to be another person floating that side. Power just seems for me just to sit. He almost sits on Hume and just sort yes. of nullifies his. Let Hume sit out wide, stay wide, and then maybe a third person. Obviously, Dan, I'd like it to be Daniel, but I don't think it um, ever will be. Um, yeah. Is a bit more closer to Maguire, and then both of those pushing. Uh, and keeping the strike, whoever it is, white because white yesterday was very isolated. And then for Portsmouth defence, it's an easy, easy day for them. We need to get players a lot more high up, but Power just doesn't seem to be that player at the minute. Yeah, and Paul obviously Power was named captain, club team captain. Sorry, um, Ledbetter obviously remains club captain, but Power's team captain. Do you think that has at all hindered him? You know, his confidence is he seems to do a lot of pointing on the pitch and I think a lot of people especially who sit behind me at the football seem to say the same thing you know he's always pointing telling where players to go but he'll never yeah. actually make that move himself yeah yeah totally agree I, I would never have made him captain I, I'd prefer to see somebody like Bailey Wright have it um, I would yeah, have definitely. given Power uh, a four for yesterday's performance if he was playing hide and seek maybe give him a nine and a half ten but yeah. not football I think uh, yeah he was wasn't any better than Grandad, but better in my opinion. I think you'd still be looking for him if you were playing hide and seek. <laughs> um, Josh Scoren, obviously the third midfielder, who personally I think he is a good player, and I do think he should be in our starting eleven. But you know he's usually very active both on and off the ball. However, during the first half especially, he was very anonymous. Um, you know, in the second half he got on the ball a little bit more, but didn't really make much of it. His set pieces are usually, you know, usually one of our biggest outlets. You know, he's good at corners, but yesterday I don't think, I thought to be fair, I don't think many of his crosses actually beat the first man yesterday. So again, I think similar to Ledbetter, similar to Power, I've gave him a five out of ten, slash four out of ten. John, yourself? He should be an out. I was game of five. I didn't really notice him at all playing, which is a shame. Paul, yourself? Yeah, I'd give him a five as well. He do, he does offer the, the, the good crosses in the box sometimes, like you say, but it wasn't happening yesterday. I think I think the whole team were in, in, in shock by how well Portsmouth just played through us, to be honest, and it just affected everybody in the team. So yeah, I'd give him a five. Um moving on to left one two. Obviously Chris McGuire started and again similar to Bailey Wright, he is one of our most important players. And I think without him, um you know, I think we'd probably struggle to be a top 10 team, to be fair. Um, you know, there was times he was comfortable on the ball yesterday, but didn't really do much with it. You know, he, was work, he worked hard for the whole game. Um, I think he spurned quite a good chance in the second half. Sorry, in the, late in the first half, um, I think it was a half volley just inside the box that he put over. It was, it was a half chance. I'm not sure if he'll class that as a, as a clear chance, but I think some one of his ability could have done better with that one, but... I gave him a 6 out of 10, which is possibly slightly generous. But, John, yourself, Chris McGuire? Yeah, I'll give him 6. I, think, I did actually think he did fairly well. Um, but as I said earlier, he's just far too deep. And there's no reason mm. to be that deep if we've got three, three midfielders. And then, again, we're isolating the striker. Mm. And Paul, yourself? Yeah, I agree with John there. I think Chris Chris McGuire should be playing a bit more higher up the pitch. Uh, I would have, I would have given him about five and a half, six yesterday. He's 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 one of them players that always has to start for me though, because he's he's somebody that can pull out a bit of magic at times when it's required. He didn't do it uh, against Portsmouth, but I would definitely 
I'd always start him. Yeah, and Freddie, obviously, I think you'll know his name, Chris Maguire, a fair bit. Um, obviously, I'll just drop another reminder in there for you. We did score the winning goal in the playoffs when we played you <laughs> the other season. And it was, it was I don't mind Chris well. Maguire. I um, I have a soft spot for Chris Maguire due to the fact that he played for Portsmouth in uh, the Championship um, in 2011-2012 on loan, I think. And uh, scored against Southampton from 30 yards. So I, I don't really, I, I can forgive him for scoring against us in the playoff final. Um, obviously, you've just touched on it there. You know, he used to play for Portsmouth, but looking at Maguire as a player now, how do you think his game's changed since his Portsmouth days? Do you think he's really matured as a player? <sighs> That's a tough question because, well, eight years ago, he was here for playing for, playing for a Portsmouth side that was nearly going bust and was playing seemingly different players every single week he looks more accomplished on the ball especially with his finishing and he, he and it's a bit cliche thinking about it but he's definitely he, he seems to be a character in the team already and yeah. i think if i think if any team at this level didn't have chris mcguire in it i think they would struggle um yeah. he's the sort of player who you could probably play anywhere in um the three behind the striker so you got some flexibility there as well and I think he's just a great player at this level and uh, one of Sunderland's better players. Yeah. Um, moving on to the last player that started the game. Obviously, Charlie Wyke started up top again and took his goal very well. And, you know, I, th- I think he played well with the um, with the service he had yesterday. Obviously, I don't think we got the ball up to him enough. Um, and when we did, there wasn't anybody kind of running past him to get onto the end of a knock-on. So, I think... To judge his game and his game only, I think I gave him a six out of ten. Sean yourself? Yeah, I gave him a six. Yeah, I took his goal very well. Um, I tried to obviously press the Pompey back, back for four, but not. Can't really do it on his own. But yeah, a six. Sort of again, starved of service. So. In for yourself, Charlie Wake. Yeah, I've never been his biggest fan, but I think that game was probably one of the one of his best performances I've seen him do. Um, I think him, along with Hume, were the two best players. So I'd give him a six, six and a half. Yeah. And Freddie, just quickly, before we move on again, obviously Charlie Wyke, you'll have seen him in the starting eleven. When you've got players like Danny Graham on the bench, Aidan O'Brien on the bench, Will Grigg on the bench, Danny Graham scored goals in the Premier League, Championship League One. Will Grigg scored goals you know, pretty much everywhere he's been apart from Sunderland. In a sense, were you glad to see Wyke starting over the likes of Danny Graham and Will Grigg? Do you think they could have caused you more problems? I think it entirely depends on how Sunderland wanted to play their game. And, that, and some of the things you were saying about Wyke earlier, it reminds me a lot of when John Marcus was played up front on his own yeah. and played in a certain way and not supported enough. I think for what Sunderland tried to do in terms of spreading out that Bulls four four two and then basically relying on crosses I would have started Wyke ahead of Grigg or Graham I haven't seen a lot of Graham so I can't really have a a very cohesive opinion on him but if you're to start Will Grigg you have to give him a lot of support you can't leave him up front on his own in a 3-4-3 or even a 4-2-3-1 in my opinion I think you need him in a two-striker formation or at the very least you need Chris Maguire in almost a free ro- free roaming role in midfield, so he can get yeah. right close to him. So I think for, I, I I assumed that White would start 
against Portsmouth in that game. And yeah. it was, um, in terms of later on, throwing on more strikers, it, it just didn't suit the formation. I think something would have done a lot better if they just had a flat back four instead. Yeah. Um, moving on to what will probably be a very difficult thing for John, myself and Paul to answer. We'll be man of the match from yesterday's game. Um, I think what we'll do is, because I know my man of the match personally wouldn't be from Sunderland, so we'll say who from Sunderland impressed you the most yesterday. John, we'll start with you. Who impressed me from who, sorry? From Sunderland the most yesterday. Um, oh, gosh, tough on that. Um, <laughs> God, you really put me on the spot there. Um, I'd probably just go with, with Wyke. We've asked him to score. He is all right. It was a uh, goal in midweek, wasn't his, but he made the goal. Um, so now you'd say, in theory, three and three. And his confidence, I'd probably uh, go with Wyke. You can, I'm not sure if you've seen the goal back against Quill, but there's absolutely no way he can claim that as his goal. No, what I mean is, obviously, he's he's there. If he's not there, which normally he's not, he's nowhere near it. Um, but obviously, he makes a defender make a decision, which is what we want and what we've been crying out for. Yeah. Um, Paul, yourself, who, as a Sunderland fan, looking at the Sunderland team, who stood out the most for you yesterday in a positive way? Yeah, I think I touched on it earlier. I think for me, Wyke and Hume were the two best players on the pitch for Sunderland. Uh, yeah. If I was forced to pick one, I would I would probably go with Hume. I think he runs up and down, puts puts in a lot of graft and uh, tries his best to get some decent service in the box, which obviously ultimately got us the goal. So I'd go with him. Yeah, I think for me, I think in the match report, the player that I gave man of the match, which is a very broad term given we lost 3-1 and played atrociously. But I think mm. Denver Hume was the player who I thought stood out the most for Sunderland. But in terms of man of the match, I think, you know, for me, I think it's got to be a John Marcus or maybe Marcus Harness. I think I'd probably go with Marcus Harness for yesterday's game. Uh, Freddie, for you, man of the match yesterday? Um, from a sort of perspective, Marcus Harness. Um I don't think Portsmouth would have played nearly as well if um, he wasn't playing. He was very, very, very good off the ball and managed to link up well with the wingers who at times had to sit a lot deeper with um, the way that some of them were playing and was the link with John Marquis in the midfield as well. So I would have picked him. But obviously John Marquis scoring two goals, if you gave him another match, I wouldn't mind either. Another notable player for me, Michael Jacobs had an excellent game before he got injured. And Andy Cannon did a lot of good work off the ball, which I really liked. From a Sunderland perspective, I would have picked Denver Hume. Whenever Denver Hume got the ball on that side, I could see if he chose the dribbling route, I could see Paul's back for buckling if um, he just had the right bounds. He skinned Johnson really well for the first goal, and he yeah. could have done that a lot. He could have done that a lot if he had, if he had the right support up there and. Uh, yeah. I would probably persevere with Wyke next game because when Graham and Greg came on, I don't think they really did anything. Yeah. And just something that came to my head there that we haven't actually touched on yet. Obviously, Marcus, obviously scored too, but he also had one disallowed. I'm not sure if any of you have actually seen a replay of it because I know I haven't or seen, you know, possibly a, a different angle of it. But obviously, his header was, I think it was given as offside. I'm not sure if any of you could. Tell I, think was half a, I think he was half a yard offside, I think. Um, I didn't notice it 
first, but on the replay, because I watched the game back yesterday. Yeah, it was about half a yard offside, I think. If he, yeah. if he stepped back, if he stepped back, he, he would have been level. Yeah, definitely. He was very unlucky to, to get it, but he was definitely offside just. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, Sunderland are back in action again on Tuesday. As we've said, these games are coming thick and fast. But we do play Rochdale on Tuesday away from home, I believe. Um, John, predictions for that one? Uh, hard for 1-0 to Sunderland. Very exciting game then. Paul, yourself. And bear in mind, whatever you say, I'm sticking a tenner on Skybet. <laughs> well, I haven't done too good the last couple of games. But yeah, I have had some good predictions so far this season. I'm going to go, um, I think, it, obviously it depends on who's... Who's in, back in the team? If Flanagan's back, there's loads of different things can affect the, the prediction. But I'm going to go for uh, another clean sheet again. I'm going to go for two 0 win. Very nice, very nice. And Freddie, um, obviously Portsmouth playing Northampton also on Tuesday, I believe. Um, your predictions for that one? It would entirely depend on how they set up. I think probably if they were to make some changes, they'd probably play Curtis due to the Jacobs injury. I don't think they'd play uh, changed it that much. Northampton don't look to be a very good side, so a Ports of two 0 win would be nice. Play the same formation, play the same style of football, and keep going. Um, one thing I'd say about Rochdale, though, Sunderland's opponents, since I did see them against Ports of in a nil nil, they're the sort of side that's lost a lot of players in the summer, but all of them are very hard working off the ball. Yeah. They may and. If Sunderland, if the Sunderland players have an off day, if they don't turn up, uh, then it could go really badly because Port of Rochdale are just a hard-working side. Um, they may, they mainly, they like to dominate the midfield as well. So if uh, Sunderland's tactics in the midfield aren't very good, then Rochdale can retain a lot of possession there. But Sunderland's are obviously all-time favourites for that game if they play properly. Hopefully, we can get back to winning ways and hopefully keep clean sheet in the process. And we'll see how many goals we can score. But that is all we have time for tonight. Uh, Freddie, John, Paul, appreciate you joining me. Thanks for having us on. It's a pleasure. We will be back again at some point, I'm not sure when, but to discuss Tuesday's game against Rochdale. Like I said, with us hopefully back to winning games. But until then, we will see you later.